Welcome to the FE Insights podcast, a series of podcasts to bring professionals working in the field up to speed with the latest developments presented by Safraz Ali, Chief Executive of the national training provider, The Pathway Group. In this episode, Safraz Ali is joined by Lindsay McCurdy, one of the great champions of training providers, and they have plenty to talk about, including the outcome of the most recent adult education training bids, the need for greater simplicity and less complexity, how poor marketing is letting down apprenticeships, and how a conference in October will give the sector the chance to get together face-to-face for the first time since the COVID-19 pandemic struck. Welcome to the FE Podcast, a podcast that is aimed to give insights to the further education sector. When we're talking about the further education sector, it's uh, very wide, very encompassing, covers colleges. Obviously, we immediately think about colleges, but in the independent training providers and many other providers within that sector as well, employers and so forth. It's a sector that purpose ultimately is about making a meaningful difference and moving people into gainful employment and into long-term sustainable uh, outcomes. And this is the first in the series of FE podcast, or it's basically we're launching it today. And who other than Lindsay McCurdy is coming as my co-host for the first episode, just to give us a cracking start and to give me a little bit of boost in my confidence as well. You know, I've been involved in podcasting uh, previously in the year. Uh, we did the Canny Conversations, but that was a slightly different level of podcast, a little bit more relating to entrepreneurship and having a bit of a natural about and musings about mindset and so forth. But here we're talking about the further education sector. We're talking about the challenges, the changes and how we as training providers and individuals that are working in this sector uh, survive, thrive, and make the ultimate difference. So, Lindsay, can I firstly welcome you? Really appreciate your support, and thank you for coming. Thank you, Saf. It's lovely to be asked, and it's great to see you after all this time. It feels it's been years. Yes, And it's it's a long time, so I'm really honoured to have been Ask this your first guest in your podcast. You. Thank you, thank you so much, Lindsay. And as you said, it's been a while and it's been it's been years, and and we'll talk a little bit about some of the changes that have happened. But more importantly, uh, at this morning time, because we're talking about insights and what people are currently talking about, I think it's befitting for us to talk about the AEB tender. So this is the adult education budget non-devolved tender that. Every single provider, I think, in this country who is delivering any type of funded education was aware of and possibly participated as well. And the results came out officially a few, well, a little while back. And there was a lot of disappointment uh, generally, which I think we expected because we also had the, you know, similar run with the traineeships previously, where I think 70% of providers didn't get through. And we've had the same thing happen with the AEB. And I've got some notes because I wrote a little bit of a LinkedIn article into which which got a little bit of attraction because straight after the official uh, figures that came out, I, I had to sort of reflect and go back into some thinking in terms of where are we with this? How is our uh, business going to move on? And what do we do? And I also felt compelled really to put a message out to all the other providers 
that were unsuccessful like pathway in this in this particular occasion, but also to the people that are affected because we've got to always relate to the people that work in the sector as well as the people that are are benefiting from employers. So before we go into it, can I can I just kick off, Lindsay, and, and just share with you some elements of what my thinking was at the, at the time? Yeah. And as I said, it's it's one of these where you know, we were expecting the AV tender to be definitely oversubscribed, and, and that, that did happen. And you know, there's uh, many providers that were looking at this. And I, I, don't, I thought every single provider would look at this because this is the sort of activity that most providers can deliver because there's there's quite a few ways that can be delivered in terms of an education budget. There's a lot of options there, a lot of opportunities there, uh, whether it's with unemployed or employed, workplace or, or a hybrid type delivery. And there's many qualifications that you can deliver. However, the rules in terms of engagement were set a little while back. And, and that's, that was the first thing that people were uh, a little bit concerned about. The pot of money that we're talking about uh, is 73 million, which on the face of it, you know, when you're looking at how much money that the sector altogether has and needs, doesn't sound much. I mean, 73 million is still 73 million, and, uh, but it's not much in terms of what we're looking to do with it. So the rules of this were, again, differentiating between different levels of providers. So if you were an existing provider, uh, a direct provider, you could potentially contract up to a maximum of 3 million. If you were a, a subcontractor, then potentially you were capped at 2 million. And if you were a new provider, then you were going to be capped at 1 million pounds. Providers in terms of in terms of the existing providers that I know, most of them went to their f- full allocation in terms of the 3 million pounds. In terms of the results that came out, only five providers who are existing providers got anything between 2 million and 3 million, only five providers. 18 providers were given an allocation between 1 million and 2 million. So this is a combination of possibly subcontractors and, a, and, and even some of them which are prime. But in that cohort, between 1 million and, and 2 million, there were 18 providers. And then you've got uh, the next sort of tier, which is the, the 500,000 to, to, to a million, that's 29 providers. And then everybody else is below that. So the, the minimum threshold, the minimum level was 150,000 pounds. And, you know, it's not quite the Pareto principle, which I wrote in my article, but uh, around 50% of the funding has been allocated to the, the top 20% of providers. So they've taken the, the lion's share. They've taken half the funding. And then the rest of it is then secured. So you've got a long, long-tail long principle that we're talking about. Clearly, there's not enough money. Clearly, it's, you know, people see it as cream of the crop in terms of activity. And a lot of disappointment out there. People haven't taken it easy. You know, we're talking about the staff. We're talking about providers that are benefiting from this funding. And it's impacted the sector and it's sent some shockwaves. And I just thought, you know, generally, what's what's your thoughts, Lindsay, in terms of you know what the sector is talking about? What are you feeling from from providers? Because you are obviously at the forefront and very supportive of the smaller providers and the the people who are making the difference. I think looking at the list of the people that receive the funding, there are some surprises that who have managed to get through. Also, you look at it and you think at the lower end where you're talking about £100,000, under 200000 what difference is that going to make? I don't think it's been handled very well. I think when they set out 
to for training providers to apply for it it was open to like you said all training providers but actually I think a lot of work and effort has gone into this and I think the criteria and what they were looking for and how they've awarded this funding needs to be answered Mm. because I'm sure there's lots of training providers out there who on the basis it's due to their offset grades etc you would expect to be on here. I also wonder about how many of these training providers actually will pass get onto the new register when the refresh comes because if they don't get onto the register and they've applied will that be notified or will there be some sort of conversation if you can't be on ROTAP and you've applied how can you have the AEB funding it's I think these are questions that got to be answered because I know a lot of training providers are really upset they did not get any sort of funding it's very top heavy with some there are some companies at the top end that you think How did they get that amount of funding? Are they national? Are they local? What was the criteria? So, yeah, I know there was a lot of upset. Yeah. With the AEB funding and and just just on that, I mean, I mean, there was initially talk a lot, a lot about getting your financials in place, you know, ensuring the fact that you know you've got your financial paperwork ready, you've got uh, your uh, accounts filed, your credit records are credit rating is is uh, better than what you, where you can make it, but a lot of it is also about how bids are written, telling the story and so forth, and it's not relating to outcomes necessarily. Um, so there's all of these factors that come into this. And that's always been the case because we know when the last ROTAP refreshed, just to take that for an example, we had training consultants who were putting in basically the same applications for different companies. One would get accepted and one didn't. So is it how good your bid writer is that they can answer the questions? Yeah. And that's always been a case in this sector about how good is the person writing the bid for you. And a lot of money is made that people will spend a lot of money with somebody who they know has got a record of getting bids, but it does not mean to say that the people they're writing the bid for is good. It's how clever you are, you answer the questions. I was speaking to a provider who you know had a conversation with a consultant and, and they were talking about adding certain, what I would say, power words into a bid and they were talking about additionality rather than duplication they were talking about progressions redundancies and really stuffing keywords into the bid and and then you've got a an element of you know how many of those keywords are it's like search engine optimization marketing and on-page marketing and you know it's about really getting the right words in certain buzzwords and and i'm thinking is that what it is now is it a little bit of a game where if you know how to play it how to use words and you're a master in terms of crafting that uh i mean i'll go through some of it with you like gatsby benchmark in terms of careers advice lmi labor market intelligence digital poverty digital divide neurodiverse learners job rich sector job creation uh, benefits of uh, furlough, dealing with per, uh, post-Brexit. And what you've got is you've got certain themes. You know, it's about also, you know, we will do this. Uh, we shall do this. We have, you know, we have this. And it's that element of, is it really power of words and power of play on the words and, and so forth? It's something that happens and it's a rule that you've got to play. And and people will say, well, you know, because these providers have been unsuccessful now that they're coming out with these things. And previously, you know, if they were successful, would that be the case? I think there is conversations around what's the right fit, the right uh, you know, fit for purpose way of actually going out and getting funds and how these funds are put together. So it's like an ecosystem of products. 
but there's a lot of frag- fragmented funding streams where the disconnect is disjointed and 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 it just there's no real connectivity where providers are you know they may have traineeships but they don't have uh, AEB or they may have AEB uh, in an undevolved area but they're working partly in undevolved and partly in a devolved area and then you've got all of these sort of elements where there's a lot of stop start there's there's all of these balls that they've got to balance and it's becoming harder and harder to understand the funding streams, connect them all together, and really start to learn it off from beginning of the journey and right all the way through. I mean, everybody wants to do that. You know, a provider talks about working with individuals, with employers, but how many providers have got the funding that will support the employer from one end to another? And how many providers can say that? I don't think there's many. No, and I don't. And I think after the last 18 months, I think we're going to see a drastic reduction in training providers that actually offer training. They have struggled. Their staff have been on furlough. Their apprentices have been on furlough. Businesses have closed down. Will they want to carry on taking on trainees of any kind? It's been very hard for this. This bid has been put out why we've all been in furlough. Mm. And I just think people are pulling out their hairs. You know, we've got to, there are too many funding streams. I think we need to simplify it for the sector, not just for us, but for the people that we're engaging with, with the businesses, with the learners. If you went to the average person and said, AEB funding, learner, apprenticeships, kickstart, they don't know what it is. I think some people in our own sector don't know the difference. It's very hard for them to say, this is what this one does. This is that what that one does. Everybody will come with a different perspective of what each funding stream is. And I do really think that at this time we need some levelling off to make things simple because I'm sure that there are names on here that you would expect to be on this list that aren't here. Mm. Didn't they apply? I don't believe they didn't apply. Mm. There is something wrong somewhere. You know, there's some really good companies on here, Mm. but there's some companies I've never heard of. I know they're out there and they've got large sums of money. What are they doing differently to somebody else that you would expect to be on this list? This list? So it's very difficult for people, but I just think, how were they judged? You know, who determined who was going to get in? A lot of people that were unsuccessful, and it'd be interesting to know how many people actually applied out of the ones that got it. How many actually applied? How much money was spent, time and effort was there to apply? Because training providers are running on very small margins. They haven't had increased starts for a long time. So there's an awful lot of work that's got to be done to make the sector feel comfortable because people will walk away. If they feel like they've put everything into it and they haven't got a chance, they just can't carry on. Just on the couple of points that you've raised, the first thing is in terms of understanding the funding pots and the funding streams available and being able to sort of connect that. I know from personal experience that yeah, that salespeople, business development people, employee engagement people, they struggle themselves in terms of understanding the differences, understanding the nuances, how does it work, the eligibility criteria. And if your guys at the front line are struggling and they're experts in, or supposed to be experts in this particular sector, then how easy is it for the employee and for the individuals to do so. You know, we've always had that situation where assessors or tutors sometimes didn't know much about the funding stream and because they were sector specialists in their own area, so they had their sector knowledge, they were more focused on awarding body uh, and awarding body updates. And then you had, you know, your management and, and so forth who 
you know, had to keep abreast not only on awarding body and, and education and learning and, and, and the differences there, but also what's going on in terms of the rule book, the funding rule book and, and going out and getting funding. But now you've got this element where we're relying on salespeople, we're relying on employee engagement, which is, you know, you're known for and have been known for in terms of business development, employee engagement, because that's where you, you know, where you started from. And, you know, I've heard your story uh, before and I'll, and I'll ask you to share some of your journey in terms of what got you in and what the obstacles you face, because if you go back 10 years, some of it is very, very similar to now. It hasn't much changed. Uh, so I thought, you know, if we can go back a little bit in terms of the employee engagement, if we can talk a little bit about the apprenticeship uh, conference that you're doing in a few weeks' time and, you know, what your thinking is to try and promote apprenticeships specifically uh, but the same can be said for all the other funding streams because there are similarities. You know, we've we've heard about the uh, the government changing their campaigns and and abandoning some element of marketing campaigns and going on to a different thread. We also know for for sure that uh, the apprenticeship numbers haven't really made any headway in terms of how they how they wanted, and it's a sector where there's a, a quite a bit of stagnation in some aspects of it. You're listening to the FE Insights podcast with Safras Ali from the Pathway Group, looking at current trends in further education. Right, well, when I started, i come into this sector late, if you like. I was working for a local council in Portsmouth, uh, Economic Development, which is working with businesses. So I have a really good understanding of working with small businesses, large businesses in that area. And the department was closed down due to funding, so I moved to London. In those times, you really had up to level four. Mm. apprenticeships if you had a degree you couldn't do an apprenticeship you could only do it before so it was open apprenticeships were open to people who were looking to get qualified well it's changed an awful lot mm. since then do you know what I mean so with the levy funding where employees have to pay a tax and we have given part of your levy to SME so we have all these setups going started but what is wrong is we haven't defined what an apprenticeship is mm. what is an apprenticeship is a real big problem and marketing of apprenticeship during National Apprenticeship Week we spend millions on a marketing campaign. The adverts are on during Coronation Street. <laughs> we don't actually talk to young people in the medium that they understand. It's all very good having websites, but how many websites are there for apprenticeships? We also have the Institute for Apprenticeships who advertise standards. But I had an employer phone me up last week who said they were interested in plant level two. There's not one training provider who delivers that apprenticeship in this country. So if you're looking for apprenticeship and you put in, I'm looking for X amount of apprenticeship. If you live in Plymouth, and the only training provider that does it, because there's some apprenticeships, we're not all talking about team leader, where there's six, seven hundred training providers delivering it. Some of the of the seven hundred apprenticeship standards only have one or two training providers. So you could look somewhere. It puts young people off. Also, then you've got to look for a job. So you look at the jobs that think I actually did one a little while ago in Portsmouth. How many apprenticeships were available in the area? There was twenty-seven. Twenty-seven. 27 apprenticeship opportunities with employer advertising. A lot of them were in care. So if you were looking, you would be turned off right from the word go. And this was at the time when people were getting their results, etc. So we've got to actually have a reality check. 
at what we're delivering. Also, we've got to look at who is our market? Is it for employers to give qualifications to people that are already employed? We've always had that program where you would have an employee and they would say, would you like to do do a degree? So they would do a degree part-time. The employer would pay for it and you would sign that you would not leave for three years. So now we have that. But how many young people are actually taking up apprenticeships. The numbers are getting lower and lower because we as a sector haven't decided what an apprenticeship is meant to do. You see adverts, take an apprenticeship, save a stu- you know, no student loan fees. Is that what an apprenticeship is? Is it to save people money? How many higher apprenticeships are there? There's not that many. The numbers are very small. I don't think universities are ever going to be worried about the number of people taking degree apprenticeships in the scheme of things. But the worrying thing is how many young people or people are thinking about starting a career, whatever age. I didn't start work till I was 45. So I can be one of those people that say, as you're older, starting a career. How many of those people, number-wise, are that actually doing it? Because that is what a real apprenticeship is, not something that's already employed. We also have employers doing the training. We've seen some big companies who have their own apprenticeship training programs. They are going. They're handing them back to training providers. We have many training providers that only do one or two apprenticeships Mm. and they're in, say, the lower bands Mm. of funding. How do they survive when everybody's chasing the same jobs? And at the moment, we've got a thing where firms are only just going back to work. A lot of staff are now working from home. Companies have actually changed their working thing about having office spaces. I have three family members Mm. that no longer have to go into London to work. They can work from home. And it's the same for companies. Unless you're a customer service, we know there's a shortage of lorry drivers. Mm. Perhaps we could concentrate and do a national campaign for HGV drivers to do an apprenticeship. We, We don't market ourselves very well as a sector. The 3 million mark campaign... That's gone. But yeah. how long will it take us to get back to going, we're going to have the three million mark apprenticeships? And are they really apprenticeships or should there be? Because I know that older people that already say, if you've been in a job 15 years and you decide to take a qualification and your firm is using the levy money, do you want to be known as an apprentice? Because actually, if you've been employed by a company for 10 years, you would think you would know your job. We've also got to look at 20% of the job training, especially in the climate we're in now. You will see list after list of what 20% of the job training can be but it is very hard to actually deliver that the government the SFA have got to stop putting obstacles in people's way they put out a campaign register your ROTAP application to yeah. this one how many changes have there been to that who is making the money out of the application consultants in the main consultants are probably one of the, like you said, top earners going because people are desperate to succeed because if they don't succeed in the very small margins there are, and profit is very low if you're only doing customer service and business admin and team leader, these aren't the apprenticeships that are 17, 18,000 pounds. We're talking a few thousand pounds. By the time you paid for your endpoint assessment, so you can actually get your final 25% of funding, your profit margins are very low. But you could have, if your profit margins are low, you've got to have high numbers and the numbers aren't high. So I think when ROTAP is actually done, we're going to lose a lot of training providers. And I know a lot now that are on that that list no longer deliver apprenticeships. They're relying on other forms of training to make a living. So it's a very difficult time for everybody, but we need to promote apprenticeships 
and make it clear what they are and how we promote them to young people in schools because that is terrible what we do. Where are they meant to find out about apprenticeships? Not all of them are aware of websites. We don't talk to them. And there's multiple bit of websites that are on there. Are there six or seven that you can go to? And they they tell you different information. It depends how quickly they're updated. And actually, a lot of them are really boring. It's engagement, isn't it? It's engagement. So one of the topics, again, for your conference is going to be about talking about how, what's the right fit? How do we do it? How do we learn from each other so we can get the, the right outcomes? Some of the things are in our control. Some of the things aren't in our control. So there is a branding issue. There's a marketing issue in terms of how people are perceived as apprenticeship. You know, we started, uh, as you know, when you supported us with the Asian Apprenticeship Awards, dealing with the stigma of what an apprenticeship is. Uh, as, as you were working with us in terms of some of the apprentices you know, you were uh, as, as a judge. You saw firsthand in terms of the the forms, the history, the, the the journey that people have embarked on, and the obstacles they had to face. And some of that stigma, uh, in a slightly different way, is there in terms of the branding, in terms of the marketing of what this is, and 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 people need to be proud of doing a qualification. You know, if I was doing a uh, say a level five management qualification, I would be shouting from the rooftop. So you know, I'm doing a leadership course. I'm doing a management course, and you know you want that same level of proudness, same level of excitement for anybody doing a qualification, because the way it's branded and the way it's perceived that this is a slight embarrassment, and you know you're being coy or or shy. So I think there, there is an element of really positioning this within the system and and in people's eyes and so forth. And probably that's one of the reasons why one campaign after another hasn't really worked and they're trying new things and I don't think anything is there that sort of fits the bill at this moment in time and you've got providers where you know they've had to deliver apprenticeships because they've had no choice because that's the only funding stream that they're able to probably pursue because the others are tendered and you know if you're not part of that tendering round then you've got no chance subcontracting is on the way out and they're reducing subcontracting and sometimes he goes out of favor and then he comes back in and we're on a sort of a level at the moment where you know they're looking to completely remove it and justify every single time which which makes it even more complicated and just on subcontracting and and the opportunities that it gives and where it's setting what, what's your sort of thoughts on that well subcontracting was it sounds great but when you think that a lot of subcontractors are taking money from the prime and they have to pay the prime, the recommended amount is X, but they've been charged double that amount. You know, I've heard of cases where subcontractors have had to give the prime 40%. And you wonder, how can they deliver quality training? But they then they can't become primes, so they've got to subcontract. Some large primes actually are nothing more than brokers subcontracting out and making money which should be used for training, but it's not. They, they're like banks. We will lend you X amount. And that's what they are. They're lenders. They lend X amount, but we're going to keep 40% of it. How can the SFA allow that to happen when they're saying to deliver this apprenticeship, you need X amount of money? They say that every subcontractor should put it on their website, but they're still allowing it to happen because it gets away with, we offer additional services to the subcontractor. It's all a paperwork exercise, but the loser at the end of the day is the learner. That is not right. If you are offering X amount, say £4,000 for apprenticeship delivered, that £4,000 should go to the training provider. Not that they have to give, say, 30% of that, 
That's over a thousand pounds. So are you saying you can do the ESFA agreeing that an apprenticeship can be delivered for less? Does that give them the reason when they uh, reduce the funding because so many people are delivering it? It's a crazy world that we're living in. So subcontracting is great for the smaller because of the way the system is that you can't be a prime unless you etc etc for the rules and regulations but actually it's very hard for subcontractors to progress and some of them do a fantastic job but there are others out there that do the apprenticeship sector a disservice because they can't deliver they have to scrimp and save and cut do cuts which do not help us can give us a bad name one of the things with, with subcontracting is that sometimes it goes out of favour and sometimes it's sort of encouraged, but reluctantly encouraged. And at the moment, it's like there's uh, artificial sort of barriers or levels in terms of, you know, if you go past this, then then there's going to be extra justification that you would do. I mean, every prime has to put a case together in terms of the reasons to subcontract. And, and we talk about additionality and specialisms and niche and 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 have subcontracting in a strategic manner and you're supposed to have you know, your subcontracting sort of framework and your methodology of why you're doing it. It is possibly the one of the only entry routes for a new provider uh, looking to get in. So there's an element where, you know, if, if there wasn't uh, a route for subcontracting, you know, how would you enter into this particular market as well? And I think we need new organizations coming in, some expertise additional expertise coming in and looking at, you know, how we as a, as a sector can really move forward and make the difference that we all, we all want to and, and aspire to, to, to do so. So I, th- I think that, that's, that's something. So in terms of other changes, you know, there's, um, there's quite a few changes that have you know, gone into the new academic year, 2021-22, uh, and there's a few changes in terms of apprenticeships that have come in, you know, recognised learning, transfer of levy funds, sort of initial assessments and so forth that happens. But what you find is, uh, you know, how, how many updates are there that happen and how do you keep up to, up to date with this with these updates? And, and, you know, I'm just picking up some of the stuff that's, that's on the ESFA Gov website and it's like update after update after update and it takes a lot of effort to try and understand this and this is where possibly some of the consultants are coming in because they've got time on their hands or, you know, they've got some element of expertise and picking this up and trying to guide the, the providers in terms of, you know, how do you navigate across this? It's very, very complicated. The market is very complicated. And this is one of the reasons why we thought we'll, we'll launch the, the, the podcast because it needs an element of simplification. It, need, you know, it needs an element of people discussing the issues. We can all Google and, and read the ESFA website and the .gov.uk website. But uh, yeah, we're all on LinkedIn and we can see people's views and thoughts on there. But sometimes it needs an element of depth and understanding and, and so forth. And, and I think there's dearth of information and, you know, we, we get bogged down. I sometimes think, they, you know, the ESFA and people that put these changes together are thinking, what can we do this month to, to mark up the sector? Because some of the changes are quite far reaching what they expect training providers to yeah. do. Yeah, yeah. And it's not that if you are going to make announcement like ROTAP. How many changes have there been to the ROTAP application in the last few months? I know I send them out, the updates, and I send out an email. And it, But the SFA will do it on Twitter. 
Yeah. Not everybody's on Twitter. Also, where before we would all be working in offices, yeah. and if there was an update, you could update the team. You could talk to each other, yeah. Now everybody, a lot of people are working from home, so you've got to get that update out to your team. It's, it's very hard to keep up to date with the updates. And I think, especially after coming out of the last 18 months, we need a period of stability where everybody can get an understanding of where we are, get to the best of their ability to apply to all the changes and the new regulations and standards, etc., and go forward. Because at the moment, I just honestly think there are too many for everybody to keep abreast of. And the only people, like you, you mentioned, consultants, they will tear it apart, but we need some positivity. We want apprenticeships to succeed. We want training to succeed. But it always seems to me there's a negative echo in the background, yeah. stopping people actually achieving it. So people, training providers and owners of training provision companies must be pulling their hair out a lot of the time because yeah. you want your business to succeed. You want to give learners a chance. You must have a passion to work in this sector. You've got to have a passion making yeah, a difference to absolutely, learners. Absolutely, absolutely. This is FE Insights with Safraz Ali. One thing that I'll say to, to our listeners is that there was a service which I found quite helpful. Uh, it was called FE Connect, and it was a forum by ESFA. That's been uh, decommissioned, and some people probably weren't aware that there was a source that uh, allowed people, question. yeah, that allowed to ask questions and also share information and so forth. It was good. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a good source. That's been decommissioned. So there's a new uh, service which I haven't at the moment uh, gone on to myself, but it's there to replace the FE Connect. And one of the things I'll be doing as soon as I can is going on to esfahelp.education.gov.uk and registering onto that ESFA community. So just as a practical support, it's possibly worth having a look at that. As I said, I've not had a, had a chance to, to look at it uh, myself, but FE Connect did do a decent job. Uh, and you it could, did answer you know, questions. It did answer questions, and you were able to learn from others as well. And because he allowed a forum where you can ask that, sort of question that you may not want to do on a on LinkedIn uh, because some people don't want to post on a public site to No, it's to, a good and it had some really good there's some really good conversations yeah. on there. And I, you know, I obviously I've looked at it myself and being on there. Some people highlighted some very interesting points that were positive that help training providers and you think, actually I hadn't thought about that. So no, that's very good. And we need more of that. Yeah, we yeah. need more of the good news stories and what is working because I think we are so disjointed now that we don't know what is working and people are quite working blind, I think, a lot of the time. So we need more partnership working. So I think what you're doing, Sap, with all these podcasts and and the, the brochure that you put together, what is yeah. FE, is a fantastic resource for the sector because not everybody might agree with what you say, but it doesn't matter. You've got the conversation going and that is so important to get that conversation going because a lot of time people are trying to put their hands up in case they look like fools. Mm -hmm. But if everybody's in the same boat and we need to be working together in partnership and it's one of the reasons of the conferences, it's not about policy it's about sharing of information and what works. Yeah, it's that peer support, isn't it? And it's also, you know, being able to have that safe conversations with individuals as well, which people are more willing to do face-to-face as opposed to sort of online or when you know somebody but you don't really know somebody, it's one of those where 
you know, you're, you're reluctant to ask people questions. Uh, the, there's something called the FE Mentoring uh, Framework that has been established by ETF, the Education Training Foundation. And they've launched this framework as a way to support uh, individuals. So it's like a peer network, you know, sharing good practice, sharing best practice, um, you know, uh, helping, supporting, nurturing each other, and having that mentor-mentee type of relationship. Uh, I believe it's free of charge. Uh, it is by Education Training Foundation. So www.et-foundation.co.uk and Supporting Professional Development Mentoring Framework. You should be able to find it on that. I think it's something that's new. It's possibly something that I think most providers will be able to take advantage of. You know, you made reference to uh, the FE sector guide that we created, and this is something that we've been, we were talking about in our, in our organization a while, where, you know, somebody, uh, firstly, you know, there's a lot of people within this sector that focus on certain level of funding. So they, you know, Within within the sector, there's niches and there's sub niches, and and we've got people who just worked on say AEB in a particular locality, and they've not got any knowledge or experience of any of the funding streams. And then the, you've got individuals who are maybe very much awarding body focused, not not the ESFA funding focus. And then you've got individuals who are you know maybe FE focused and not awarding body and so forth. And and everybody's got their specialisms and areas where they they're more comfortable with. Uh, so it's a guide that we've produced for as part of our onboarding process uh, for new staff, but also at the same time for existing staff. So it talks about the sector, what is the sector, the definition of it. It talks a little bit about who are the sort of uh, body representatives. It mentions ELP, it mentions AOC, it mentions uh, people like Education Training Foundation. It talks about sources of support you know like i mentioned earlier on you know you can go to this website you can look at this and so forth you know it mentions what twitter accounts you can follow i mean i know not everybody's on twitter twitter what what linkedin groups that you can look at and obviously when he talks about linkedin you're at the top of the list uh it talks also at the, at the same time in terms of how do you stay up to date with information in terms of you know youtube channels potentially other podcasts radio channels as well and at the same time it gives you an idea of the sort of activities within the sector so it mentions things like you know who are the top traineeship providers so you get an idea of the names it talks a little bit about restart you know who are the restart providers in each area because that again is an element where there's a crossover between skills uh, ESFA education and and uh, work which is uh, DWP I think it's brilliant because when I come into the sector 10 years ago, something could mention, say, the ALP, I wouldn't know who they were. You look at all the different funding stream and you see the three letters. It took me a year to learn what they were. So to have a guide, because I don't think there is one anywhere. I think it's absolutely brilliant, especially for new people. And many people are coming to our sector now from other sectors. So I think to have an up-to-date guide of who's out there, and what this means yeah. is a starting point for them to find out further information. So I 
say well done on putting it together because a lot of work has gone into that. There must be about forty pages. There. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely a lot of work has gone in. I think we're we're up to seventy slides at the moment and uh, seventy eight slides, and we've got we've got still awarding body stuff that we want to talk a little bit about. Uh, we've got the new non-devolved AEB that we want to talk about. We'll talk a little bit about some of the changes that have happened in terms of the FE Connect. So it's it's something that continuously will update. But you know, in terms of you know who else was in this marketplace, I, I, we didn't feel there was anybody who really. Uh, you know, had one source where you could just go to look at. I think uh, ETF did try and do something, but there wasn't anything that, you know, you say this is a reference point where you can go and it's updated. And if there is anybody that, and if there was any project that they did, it was for a particular time, particular place, maybe a region. There's a lot of, there's information guides out there for a particular region, but it's very localized in terms of this is, potentially these are funding streams for available and these are providers. But we feel that this is unique and we, you know, we've we've done it as I, as, I, as I said for new staff, but I think existing staff in this particular sector will definitely benefit from this. A lot of individuals who you know are, who have got some element of knowledge in their own area. We now all of us need to have a broader knowledge and broader perspective of understanding to actually take advantage of all the funding streams and really connect you all together. So, you know, it's something that I have put on LinkedIn and I said, you know, if anybody wants a copy, just send me a message. You know, we'll we'll send this across to you and you can utilize this, uh, adapt it in your own way and hopefully, you know, benefit uh, the training providers and and uh, it'll benefit all of us within the sector. So, you know, that, that offer is... It's is, like an induction is, to the yeah. sector. Like, what's that thought? Yeah, I heard of it, but yeah, there was a website link and I thought, actually, that is really good because you can Google, etc. But I just thought to the time and effort that it's taken, like you said, 70 slides, I think it's brilliant, a real service to the sector. And we need more of that. We need we, we, positivity. We do. we do. And again, any uh, again, you only come across this once you understand the obstacles that people face. And, you know, one of the things that led us doing this is, you know, lack of knowledge of people who are operating in the sector. And they've been probably been here for years in the sector but they're sort of touching the surface in terms of deeper knowledge of you know what's going on. Sometimes people only learn things which are very directly relevant to what they need at the moment in terms of to do a decent job, and that is how is how people sometimes perceive it. Picking up your expertise and and growing your skill sets and, and knowledge in a sector is isn't for everybody. And sometimes it's a mindset, but a lot of times it's also the resource. You know, how do you go about doing that? You know, there's no way where you can just, you know, pick it up that easily as well. And, and it takes a lot of time and it's also through actually doing it and, and picking things up. And if you can learn from somebody else, it'll just fast track you in terms of that particular uh, way. So It's like the peer mentoring that yeah. you mentioned. Where can I go to? Do I have to join a course to find that peer mentoring? We need more openness in the sector where people don't don't feel that they can't. They know where to go to to speak to people or be able to communicate and share best practice because most people generally are willing to help if they can. And we need more of that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we've touched a little bit about your uh, apprenticeship conference. Uh, what your thinking is, uh, what your ambitions are, and and just share with us a little bit about the conference. Right. Well, it's nearly two years since I had my last conference. One thing that I love to do is to bring an audience together with speakers they might not normally hear, but they come away with something. What I get out of a conference is when somebody says to me, 
I learned something from that. Just listen to that speaker speak has made it worthwhile Absolutely. coming. It's not about policy, this conference. I'll call it an apprenticeship conference. It's a 360 look at uh, apprenticeships from recruitment, consultants, software, marketing, training providers, endpoint assessment, how we're all working together to make apprenticeships grow for the future. At the present time, we even got world skill to talk about addition, you know, when apprentice got the skills, it's an apprentice, how they can go on to world skills and train. For me, it's very exciting to actually put people together again. So I'm looking forward to October the 19th here in Birmingham. I'm having at Millennium Point, which is a, a big local venue, and we're expecting 200 people. And it will be great to see people come together, catch up with each other. And I think that's one thing that we've missed in this sector is the face-to-face meeting after nearly two years of seeing people again, finding out what's happening to them, how their businesses have survived, reinvented themselves, because so many people have reinvented themselves over the last two years, their businesses and how they're going forward. So, and you're, you're going to be speaking yourself, Zach, at the you, you, conference. You kindly invited me to be a speaker, and I remember my first public speaking gig at the uh, Emirates Stadium. But that was slightly different to your format presently. Over three days, and I don't know how many people were there. Were the thousands, you know, twelve hundred, yeah, yeah. twelve hundred people it thereabouts. And that was nerve wracking for me because that was my first sort of public foray into into public speaking. I never did public speaking before, and and I was sitting there uh, shaking my boots. And you were, you kind enough gave me gave me a little bit of a pep talk and got me on my way. So I, I can't I can't forget that. And, so it's uh, my fault now. <laughs> so <laughs> you're doing you, your public you, speaking. So, so you've got me uh, got me on this track, and I really appreciate that. So I look forward to uh, sharing the stage uh, alongside many other people that, uh, that that you've called, and you always call. Uh, people that are different to other sort of conferences, people who've got a personal story, practical support. It's that area where you, you know you need to be able to relate to these individuals, and at the same time, you know people who've got credibility. People don't want to be spoken at. Yeah. You know, they don't want to be spoken at. ESFA updates that you can find that on the internet. People learn from each other. So I think it's very important that the speakers that I put on, I always try to make sure they've got a personality. They can engage with the audience and the audience learns from them because that's how we go forward. Um, We have some great speakers that are not entertaining, but they are able to get the message across that they're trying to say. They're not there to sell up the audience. They're there for the audience to learn and to go forward. So I'm really looking forward to it. It's exciting for me to be able to come back after 19 months to yes. hold a conference and to hold it locally because um, Birmingham is new to me. So yeah. I've been up to look at the venue today and yeah. it's a great place. Yeah, yeah. No, no, absolutely. absolutely. And this is, it is the, what we call the centre of the universe. So but hopefully people from across the country can, can come in and travel in and wish you the best with that, giving what uh, providers have been uh, knocking on your door and asking for. Well, it's like one of the things we've, we've touched on it while we were speaking today is like consultants. They are here and they put the bids forward. We have asked the new Confederation of Education consultants to speak okay. because consultants are of a great interest to yeah. the sector. So we're giving them a platform to explain why people should use their services. What is a good consultant? What is a bad consultant? What should training providers be looking for when they engage with somebody? Obviously, the Confederation have got together because they want to say we're offering a good service. So people know where to go to. So we'll be having a big in-depth look at consultants at the conference. 
which I think is important in this sector because what elements make a good bid? Mm. Is it the you know is it the elements that you've missed out that have stopped you from gaining that bid? So I think it's an area that's going to be of great interest for a lot of people. You know, I, I must say uh, thank you, Lindsay, for all your support, particularly in terms of launching this uh, FE podcast. The aim is again to provide the sector with insights and uh, a way of bringing them up bringing all of us up to date in terms of, you know, where we are and navigating through uh, the, the maze that is uh, the further education sector that we uh, no doubt love and, and work in and want to continue to thrive and, and, and work in. So really appreciate your support, Lindsay. People can get a hold of you via LinkedIn and, and any other means. They will find me on there, I'm sure. <laughs> they know my name. So, yeah. but uh, Thank you so much, Lindsay. Much appreciate that. Uh, again, I'll, I'll wrap up by saying further education, postcard or FE podcast, you know, we're here to uh, bring you insights, to bring you up to date with some of the changes. We won't be able to cover off all the changes possibly on the actual podcast, but we're launching at the same time the FE podcast website fepodcast.co.uk where we'll be updating in terms of some of the changes that are happening and helping you navigate the sector and hopefully make a difference so thank you for your support please follow us on all the other channels and kindly give us a review or share with me personally any thoughts any information and if any anybody else wishes to use this platform to share some knowledge some uh, awareness experiences any insights then please reach out to me Thanks for listening to the latest news and insights from the further education sector. Safraz Ali will be keeping his ear to the ground and will be back soon with new developments and comment from some of the top professionals in the field. This is a 1386 audio production.